أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله تبارك وتعالى وسلم على سيدنا محمد سيدنا وسندنا وحبيبنا وشفيعنا ومولانا صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه وأزواجه وضرياته وأهل بيته ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين وبعد We continue with our reading of Warathatul Anbiya the heirs of the prophets ibn rajab hanbali's uh, sharh and commentary on the well-known uh, hadith uh, narrated by sayyidina abu darda radiyallahu anhu regarding the virtues of seeking knowledge uh, ably translated by imam zaid may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala elevate both of their ranks and give both of them their due mercy and uh, exalt the ranks of ibn rajab uh, amongst his awliya and uh, uh, protect uh, our good imam uh, as long as he is in this earth in his physical person and in his spiritual state chapter 5 grazing the gardens in a well-known hadith the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam relates if you pass by the gardens of paradise graze therein the companions asked what are the gardens of paradise he said sallallahu alaihi wasallam Circles of dhikr, the remembrance of Allah. Whenever he mentioned this hadith, Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu would say, I do not mean gatherings of sermonizers, but study circles. A similar hadith has been narrated by Sayyidina Anas bin Malik radiallahu anhu. Ata al-Khurasani mentioned, Gatherings of dhikr are gatherings to study the lawful and unlawful, how to buy and sell, how to perform well the prayer salat, the fast, psalm, uh, the laws of marriage and divorce, how to perform hajj and similar matters. Yahya ibn Abi Kathir said, a lesson in jurisprudence is prayer. Abu Suwar al-Adawi was sitting in a study circle which included in attendance a young man who exhorted the assembly to say subhanallah and alhamdulillah. Abu Suwar became angry and said, woe unto you, what then is the purpose of our gathering? Meaning what? That the exhortation to worship was unnecessary because learning the knowledge itself is a higher form of worship. This indicates that the gatherings of dhikr are not merely uttering the words Subhanallah, Allahu Akbar, and Alhamdulillah and similar meritorious phrases. Rather, they include those gatherings in which the commands of Allah, His prohibitions, the lawful and unlawful, and that which He loves are discussed. Perhaps this latter form of dhikr is more beneficial than the former, since knowledge of the lawful and unlawful is obligatory for every Muslim in proportion to his needs. As for mentioning Allah with the tongue, it is largely voluntary and only rarely obligatory, such as dhikr in the mandatory prayers. What knowledge is mandatory for the Muslim? As for the knowledge of Allah's commandments, knowing what gains his love and his pleasure, and what incurs his anger, such as knowledge, uh, su- uh, such knowledge is obligatory for everyone. For this reason, it has been related, seeking knowledge is mandatory for every Muslim. Hence, it is obligatory for every Muslim to learn the requisites of purification, salat, prayer, psalm, fasting, and the like. Furthermore, it is mandatory for everyone who has wealth that he learn what is obligatory in terms of charity, zakat, due to the needy, doing what is voluntary and what is compulsory, pilgrimage or hajj and jihad fi sabilillah to struggle in the path of Allah Ta'ala. 
Similarly, it is mandatory for everyone who buys and sells that he learns what transactions are lawful and which ones are unlawful. As Umar anhu said, no one sells in our market except for one who is knowledgeable of the religion. A similar hadith has been related on a weak chain by Sayyidina Ali anhu, who said, Understanding of religion precedes commerce. One who engages in commerce without properly understanding the religion falls into usury with little chance of escaping from it. And this is very important. Why? Because we have now a bifurcation in the ummah. The ummah has gone in two different directions. Either you're going to go into trade or you're going to understand the deen. And uh, that's, that's, that's really harmful. The economic life of the ummah and the intellectual of the life of the ummah, uh, both of them are you know, very uh, intimately, intuitively linked. Uh, the separation uh, of the two of them is a great folly and uh, will be the seed uh, for the tree of destruction of uh, the ummah as we know it as a concept. Uh, and this is something, this is something r really unfortunate that, uh, you know, I've taught in Islamic schools before. Uh, I know a number of people who are listening may have taught or had some experience in them, may have uh, studied in them. I never studied in Islamic school. I didn't grow up uh, going to an Islamic school, um, but I have taught in them. And, you know, there's this idea that somehow, you know, the purpose of the Islamic school was to have a kid who knows how to read uh, Quran uh, from beginning to end at least once in his life as if it's a, a type of Hajj and um, thereafter, you know, do good on the SATs and get into a good university. And hey, there's nothing wrong with that. I did really good on my SATs as well. And, uh, you know, I got into a fairly good university too. And I have no uh, objection about that whatsoever. Uh, however, there are uh, branches of knowledge that uh, are very important that have to do with things like buying and selling and other uh, you know, more usuli uh, uh, um, uh, type concerns and other more foundational, asasi type concerns, foundational type concerns for society at large. And uh, the ignorance of those uh, leads to having, you know, people who are very intelligent, uh, you know, working as like actuaries uh, and working in, you know, in the corporate sector, doing all sorts of things, uh, good, bad, ugly, funny and uh, making uh, good amounts of money, which in and of itself is not a bad thing. In fact, it needs to happen. We need to have a Sharia compliant space where Muslims can generate the, the huge amounts of wealth that, you know, supported things like our Madaris in the past, supported Oqaf in the past, supported things like the Ottoman Empire. I'm reading this Khalil Inaljik's book about the, the classical period of the Ottoman Empire. And, uh, you know, it's part of the inherited ruling traditions that the Muslims have. Um, from the Prophet ﷺ's time and also the inherited wisdoms that they have from the great empires of the past that, uh, uh, that you know, you cannot have a, 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 a good um, and viable polity without, without having a populace which is fed properly. All of it requires a delicate balance of, you know, livelihoods and funding and uh, uh, taxation uh, within uh, reasonable boundaries and systems in which in which money flows in healthy ways through society none of that is possible if you're raising kids who like graduate from 12 um you know 12 uh, uh, years of islamic school 
and like the only Arabic they know is Ain al-Hammam. And, uh, you know, one time we watched uh, Kung Fu Panda in Arabic. And after that, you know, they'll say, what is the difference between Imam Mahdi and Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam? Uh, to you know, to ask them about transactions or to ask them about taxation or zakat or any of these things, it's it's not really going to work out. And uh, you know, someone might say, oh, "Moses being a hater." I'm not being a hater. Wallah, nothing would make me happier if we, than if we could uh, reform these institutions in order to teach these basic things. Um, why? Because it will engender a type of change. The problem is what uh, most of our institutions where these things are taught. You know, we don't respect, we don't respect people of scholarship, people of subject matter expertise. You know, if you, uh, you know, give someone a das sabak level of Arabic uh, uh, grammar after a year or two years of, quote unquote, taking Arabic in, in, in an Islamic middle school or high school, um, there's a rebellion uh, amongst the kids and there's a rebellion amongst teachers as well. And many of the people who teach these subjects, and frankly, they're not qualified to teach them. And, uh, you know, until we respect uh, uh, these branches of learning, you know, no one's going to, no one's going to really, no one's going to really learn them. And until anyone, no one learns them, there will be a chasm in understanding between quote unquote secular type people and uh, uh, the people who are the people of knowledge of religion and, uh, you know, it's easy to be a person who's like, oh, look, I have the haq, I studied the deen. Look, this book says that, you know, the Prophet ﷺ said that this is a duty on every Muslim and like everyone else is a sinner and a horrible person. Um, and then like, you know, let everyone go to hell uh, at the end of it. Unfortunately, that's not the way that, or fortunately, that's not the way that the Prophet ﷺ used to think. And so it's important to mention these things uh, again and again. Uh, in our gatherings, or lack thereof, due to coronavirus uh, uh, epidemic or whatever, it's important to mention these things so that, um, so that through that mudakara, you know, maybe rubbahamili fiqhin ila manhu afqaha minhu somebody manhu afqahu minhu afwan somebody who has more uh, is in a better position to affect things properly will be able to take this right understanding and implement it into. Uh, some sort of right implementation because these changes need to happen if they cannot happen then uh, you know the Muslims will be in a bad situation which they've been in before interestingly enough Nizam al-Mulk uh, um, the great prime minister of the Seljuk heroic Seljuk Sultan Alp Arsalan Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give, uh, give them a high rank and uh, forgive them their sins and reward them on behalf of the Ummah Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Um, you know, Nizam al-Mulk who, who, who inaugurated the Madrasa Nizamiya and who, uh, you know, spent from Alp Arsalan's treasuries on education the same amount that he um, uh, spent on the military. Um, that Madrasa Nizamiya was not necessarily a, an original development of the, 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 the Sunni classes. Rather, you know, it's been suggested by some historians that it was a reaction against the heterodox Ubaidiyah, Dawlatul Ubaidiyah in Egypt, the Ubaidiyah that uh, uh, called themselves uh, the Fatimids, uh, even though they have no descent from Sayyidah Fatima radiallahu anha and no shajara verifying their uh, claim of descent and she has nothing to do with them as well. Uh, their heterodoxy being a very ugly form of, 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 of fraud. Um, but they had uh, institutions to train their du'at to go and convince, you know, regular lay people that uh, somehow or another 
that they have a correct form of Islam. And uh, uh, the Sunnis basically did what they often do, which is the same thing they did with the Aristotelian logic or with you know certain other things, which is they adopt um, the, 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 the learning of other peoples and they uh, refine it and they use it for the service of the deen and they exceed in doing so. And so that madrasa was what? It was seeing a need, adopting what they have at hand, and using it uh, in order to make da'wah to the people back to actual Islam. And their da'wah was superior. The dola of the Ubaidiyah lasted for 250 years in Egypt. And the Egyptian populace, by and large, did not convert to Ismailism. And, uh, um, you know, the, 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 the heresies of the of the uh, uh, of the Bataniya from from the Obedi state, um, much of their survival to this day actually is transmitted through Sunni books of Kalam, because the Sunnis learned, studied their doctrines and their creeds, analyzed them, including including Ghazali, including uh, like Abu Mu'in and Nasafi, and including Taftazani and people like that. That they 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 uh, they studied those creeds. And then they, uh, you know, with a superior training in, in, in logic and philosophy, they picked them apart and they pointed out the inconsistencies and the flaws in them, especially with regards to uh, how they fit with the basic texts of, of, of Islam. Uh, but the point is, is this is that like, you know, we need to we need to fix those institutions in order to start producing this knowledge. If we don't, it's not enough to just be like, oh, wow, mashallah, you know, it's Ramadan and I feel real spiritual tonight. Um, inshallah, everything will be just fine. Rather, here you see all these hadith that, that, that are being mentioned about, you know, the, the learning, uh, the gatherings of dhikr are the rodatul uh, jinan. Uh, they are the gardens of, of, of the paradise in this earth, and the Prophet says graves in them. And it's a call of a great number of our aslaf that it's not only just sitting and saying Allah, Allah in a circle. And I'm the last one who's going who's gonna, to, you know, speak uh, ill of that. Or who's going to say that that's not important or, or even necessary. But we have a great number of our aslaf that considered from part of the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what? That you have to learn this knowledge as well. You know, there are so many mashayikh of the tariqah. There, you know, and those were in the days when the mashayikh were not like show business mashayikh. And they were not uh, um, uh, karobari, uh, 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 mercantile mashayikh. You know, people who uh, are good at like siphoning donations and taking, uh, uh, you know, taking perks from people uh, and, uh, you know, putting together political or quasi-political uh, entities in the vacuum of, of the state or in the vacuum of any sort of religious authority, which is kind of what's happening in America uh, right now with uh, the kind of collapse of the masjid, uh, with the collapse of the masjid uh, institution that people are serious about their deen, you know, they have to have like their, uh, you know, vicar sessions in their homes and they, they, you know, they take their brothers in the tariqah as a, uh, you know, substitute for having community with the rest of the ummah, which is good in a sense because it's something where they, you know, a space that they can function seriously with their deen, but it's bad in the sense that then it makes kind of a sultanat, dar sultanat, that there's a kind of Islam within Islam, uh, uh, which kind of cheapens the actual Islam that's supposed to be providing that for a person um, that you know without without this understanding that the old mashaykh had those mashaykh who really their their disciples were were um, serious about their suluk 
those mashaykh would mandate to their murids that you have to read you know the the the, the you know uh, you have to read al murshid al muin i have right now sitting right next to me a tahqiq of the al minah al quddusiyah it's sidi ahmad zarruq not sidi ahmad zarruq i'm so sayyidina muhammad ala alihi wa sahbihi wa ba'd it's sidi bin ali wa ahmad al alawi's uh, Sufic Sharh of the Murshid al-Mu'in of Ibn Ashir. And so it is a, a spiritual commentary on a fiqh book. And all the Murids had to memorize it. It was a gham of all of those people. And it was the, 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 the gham meaning what? It was the grief and the dard and the pain of every one of the, of the Murids that what? That they should be um, that they should be striving to fulfill the orders of the Sharia as a very basic part of their suluk. And if you want to be serious about that, you have to memorize this text. Um, and, uh, you know, and that's an example in the West. What's an example in the East? You know, you have these Mala Buddha Minhu genre of, of books. You have even in the more modern era, uh, this book, uh, uh, which you call the... Uh, um, the Ta'lim al Haq, which is a wonderful book that is like a uh, like a, a fiqh book transduced into like uh, you know something very easily packaged and digested for a layperson. You have to have all of these things spread out, uh, and the murids have to take these things seriously. They have to sit and learn alif ba ta tha. They have to sit and learn tajweed. You know, they have to sit and recite the Fatiha to Aqari. And you know even even the uh, you know even the great muftis and the mashayikh the, the qudat that come to the uh, come to the mashayikh even in the east the mashayikh would tell them now go go to the qari sahib and recite the fatiha to him why they have to go through that system uh, because that system was considered to be sacred that system has been kind of like thrown uh, behind people's back and so now there's a chasm in understanding between people uh, which is which is uh, highly problematic and it's not just because of you know, one group of people is quote-unquote educated and the other one isn't, or that one group of people is quote-unquote religious and the others isn't. It's that these precepts, these basic understanding, uh, understandings of deen, if they're not there, if they haven't shaped you, if they haven't influenced you, if the, you, you, know, you haven't been dyed in their color yet, uh, uh, if you haven't been dyed in their color yet, the the metaphor of dying in color this is a very potent metaphor in um in the spiritual path that's directly uh taken uh, 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 taken from what taken from the quran itself what does that mean right this is not just something that you sing at like whatever Mehndi or like PTV cultural shows, right? These things, all of the 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 the, the rang, the the color that the disciple takes from the sheikh is what is the rang that the companions took from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. It's not all. Uh, it's not just all mystical and spiritual. There's something that's uh, uh, you know has to do with the way you think as well from it, and that's why uh, these mashayikh from the aslaf are saying that the halakat of dhikr is not just Allah Allah, even though that's wonderful, that's great. That's like the best thing in the world. Uh, but this is also something that's from it, is that you have to sit and understand. Abdullah bin Mubarak, uh, uh, rahimahullah ta'ala, was asked, 
What is what? No, this is actually to back up as Omar who said, No one sells in our marketplace except for one who is knowledgeable of the religion. Like, look how far have we come from that. You know, that who are the people who are donating? Who are the people who make money? Who are the people who run, uh, uh, you know, uh, these things? We have masajid that are having like raffles and things like that. Like, who are the people running these things in the masjid? Are they people who, uh, uh, are they people who, like Sayyidina Omar said, no one sells in our marketplace except for the one who's knowledgeable of the deen. Uh, look how far we've, we've, we, we've gone, right? Sayyidina Ali, that understanding of religion precedes commerce. One who engages in commerce without properly understanding the religion falls into usury with little chance of escaping from it. Um, you know, we've, we've kind of put the cart before the horse uh, in terms of these things. And it's, it's, it's very problematic and it's hurting us. And it shows. Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak was asked, What knowledge is obligatory? He replied, If a man does not have any wealth, he is not required that he learn the rulings of zakat. If his wealth reaches nisab, the minimum level of wealth that obliges one to pay zakat, it is obligatory that he learn how much he should give in zakat, when to give and to whom. Other taxable possessions should be treated in a similar fashion. Imam Ahmed ta'ala was asked about a, a man. What knowledge is incumbent for him to seek? He said, the requisites for establishing the prayer and the divine commandments relating to fasting and zakat. The prayer being the first one that was mentioned. Uh, and he, by the way, uh, uh, had a very stringent opinion with regards to praying in congregation. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opened the doors of our masajid so we can pray together again soon. He then mentioned the basic laws of Islam and said, It is appropriate that he learn these. He also said, Obligatory knowledge is that which is indispensable for performing his prayer and establishing his religion. You should know that knowledge of lawful halal and unlawful haram is honorable. It includes learning that which is individually and communally obligatory. What is the uh, fardain and what is the fard kifaya? It includes learning that which is individually and communally obligatory. Some scholars have written that learning the lawful and unlawful is better than voluntary worship. Uh, among them is Imam Ahmad and Ishaq. Uh, and here I'm assuming he's talking about Ishaq bin Rahawi, uh, which is uh, one of the great muhaddithin uh, uh, that I believe even uh, uh, Bukhari uh, uh, took benefit from. Reluctance in giving religious verdicts. The early imams were cautious about speaking about the lawful and unlawful because one who speaks about such matters is relating information from Allah, enunciating his commandments and prohibitions and passing on his sacred law. Let me repeat that. The early imams were cautious about speaking about the lawful and unlawful because one who speaks about such matters is relating information from Allah, enunciating his commandments and prohibitions and passing on his sacred law. Meaning what? In my humble opinion, doesn't exist. If it's talking about deen, it's talking on behalf of Allah. And if you don't know what Allah Ta'ala and His Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam meant or wanted by something, you can just shut up. You can just shut up and close your mouth. We don't uh, speculate. Uh, 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 it's a very beautiful and succinct sentence from the Tahawiyah that we don't uh, speculate about Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala nor do we like bicker back and forth about the uh, 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 the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It was said about Ibn Sirin, if he was asked about something regarding the lawful or the unlawful, his color would change. He would be transformed until he no longer seen the same person. Atta ibn Sa'ib uh, uh, said, 
I met people who, when asked for a religious verdict, would tremble when they spoke. I've seen this. I've seen this in people before. It does exist. It's not just a, it's not just a fiction or a hagiographical flourish. I've seen this in people. That, uh, uh, that they are paralyzed with fear when it comes to these types of things. Many of them just won't answer. And if they're cornered, you know, in a place where there's nobody else who can answer, and they know that if they don't answer, that's also going to be something that they're going to be liable for. Uh, I've seen this, this fear enter into people. It doesn't happen much in America, by the way. And it doesn't happen much on YouTube or on, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. Have you ever heard someone say, oh, so-and-so, you know, is giving fatwa on Snapchat, you know, like, and he was asked a question and, you know, <laughs> anyway, whatever. Inshallah, maybe, maybe it does exist. Whoever it is, Allah Ta'ala reward them. Uh, 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 it's related that Imam Malik, when asked about a legal matter, uh, uh, it was as if he was suspended between heaven and hell. Imam Ahmad was extremely hesitant to speak on the lawful and unlawful to claim that something was abrogated or related matters which others would too readily uh, expound. He frequently prefaced his answers with phrases such as, I hope that, I fear, or it is more beloved to me. Imam Malik and others used to frequently say, I do not know. Imam Ahmad would often say, uh, on an issue about which the righteous forebears had various opinions, the most likely answer is, I do not know. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, uh, give us from his fadl. Allah ta'ala rectify our hal. We make this dua when we think about these things in these Mubarak nights. Ya hayu, ya qayyumu, bi rahmatika nastaghithu aslih lana sha'nana kullahu wa la takilna ila anfusina tarfata ayn. Oh, ya hayu, oh, ever living. Ya qayyumu, oh, the one through whom everything subsists. We desperately cry out for your mercy. Uh, straighten and rectify for us our, our affair and complete and do not leave us to our own uh, egos even for the twinkling of an eye la ilaha illa anta subhanaka inna kunna min al-zalimin wa illam dalfir lana wa tarhamna nanakunna min al-khasirin there is no god except for you like Sayyidina Yunus alayhi salam cried out from the belly of the whale there is no god except for you uh, transcendent are you above any blemish Indeed, we were from the transgressors. Ya Allah, forgive us and rectify our hal and give us the najat that you gave to Sayyidina Yunus from the belly of the whale. Give us the salvation from the troubles and perils that we're in like you gave to Sayyidina Yunus from the belly of the whale in this world and in the hereafter. Wa sallallahu tabarak wa ta'ala wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wa alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.